All right. Well, church family and friends, it is so good to be with you again today. And um, I'm Pastor Melody, like we said, and um, it's my joy and honor to bring a message to you guys this morning. Um, that's really been on my heart this week as I've been thinking and praying and observing all the things going on in our world. Um, I just felt like we needed to take a little pause from our Road to the Cross series um, and just really have a honest conversation about what's going on. So that's what we're going to do today. So, um, you know, I think that it's very beautiful to gather like this, but I also think it's very weird to gather like this. It's very weird to have nobody sitting in these blue padded chairs in front of us today. Um, but I think that we can all see the beauty. I think we, we can all see the beauty of choosing to participate um, in church like this because we all know the church is not about this building or any building, but it's the community of Christ. And the way that I've seen the church coming together in this time, even the three churches that share this space, um, coming together to encourage one another, to support one another, to answer five million technical questions for one another is so beautiful. And so um, I would just encourage you guys to be praying, not just for this church, but for every church as they're going through this season where we can't actually physically be together. And I also wanted to invite you guys, especially Elementers, if you are um, an owner here at Element, we want to invite you guys into a way to show some pretty cool ownership over the next couple weeks. Um, and I sent it in my email this last week, but I'm just going to remind you here today and we'll remind you again. But we would like to invite you guys to participate in showing some hospitality um, and ownership and stewardship and simplicity by either taking a video or some pictures of you and your family being Element at this time. So maybe you take a picture this morning of you guys watching the live stream, um, or maybe you and the kids want to sing a song together, or um, we had uh, Nathaniel actually sent a drawing that he did with a scripture. So whatever you're doing to kind of connect with God in this time um, that you could share with the community, we would love to put together a video about that um, and just share it among us. Not that it's going to be some grand production, but just like, I don't know, you're getting to see our faces, but we're not getting to see your faces. And so I think we all kind of want to see everybody's faces. So think about what you might want to contribute. Um, we would love to hear from you and your kids. So we'll contact you more about that, but that's one way that we would like to invite you to participate. So with that, we're going to jump into the message. And like I said, we're going to take a pause today and just really think about where we are and what's going on in our world. And now what? Like now what do we do, right? In the middle of this pandemic. And we're gonna kind of regroup ourselves, I think a little bit. Um, and in the regrouping, let's just remember we're still, we're still journeying with Jesus as we have been on the road to the cross. And next week, Brett's gonna be back with us and have a beautiful message um, to prepare us for Easter Sunday about Jesus. But today we're still journeying with him because he's right here with us in this place. So I think where we all are right now is we've kind of like experienced the initial shockwave of this pandemic um, wreaking havoc upon our lives as we know them. I think we've experienced the initial shockwave of that. Like, I don't think any of us are still in denial. Like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, no, it's kind of a big deal at this point. I mean, we are we can't meet together. The kids are not in school. Many of us are not working. So it's a pretty big deal at this point. But we've kind of experienced that initial shockwave. Um, and we kind of know, like, it, that doesn't really look the same for all of us, right? The shockwave for all of us was a little bit different. Um, for kids, it means 
you're not in school for a while. For many of you guys, it means you're out of work. For some of us, it means we have a lot more work <laughs> to do. Um, some of us are c really concerned about finances at this point. Some of us are sick and we can't get tested because so we don't even know if we have this virus thing going on, right? Um, and some of us with essential professions are still working and that's its whole, a whole other thing, right? So we're all experiencing the shockwave in a little bit different ways, but we are all experiencing it, right? Um, so what we can do today is kind of take a pause a minute, right? Okay, here we are. There's a global pandemic going on. The country that we live in is halfway shut down at this point. Um, and so here we are. And what do we do, right? And... I think we've kind of figured out how we're going to adapt our lives, maybe at this point a little bit, depending on <laughs> if you're a homeschool parent, you might have not fully adapted yet. I know I haven't, but we've at least kind of figured out what it's maybe going to look like for a couple weeks, right? So we've made those adaptations, and I think we've let ourselves think about the bigger implications of all this, but we haven't let ourselves get lost in that yet. We're kind of just in this waiting phase to figure out what's going on and what this is all going to look like, right? And we're doing our best to stay in the moment and stay positive, right? We all look at 2,500 memes a day to make ourselves laugh because the meme, the meme game is pretty good these days. There's lots of funny things out there. And we have like many Zoom meetings, right? Multiple Zoom meetings every day. I'm sure all of you guys are doing that between work and school and church and friends and all of these things. We've started, we have a couple friend groups who are now having like Zoom date nights <laughs> where we just hang out on Zoom and talk. It's very interesting, right? So we're all making the adaptations to life right now. And we're here and we're asking, okay, now what? And, you know, I think that question, that now what question, can be a pretty cool place to be. Now, I also think it could be a pretty dark place to be. <laughs> If, our, if we're asking now what, like, now what horrible thing is going to happen to us next, Lord, that's probably a pretty dark place to be. And I, I don't recommend living there. Although, probably we've all visited that thought a time or two also, right? But if we're asking the now what question in the sense of, okay, here we are. This is the season that we're in. How do we find life and flourishing and hope and peace and joy right here? How do, how do we do that? I feel like that's a really cool question. A really good, positive, cool place to be, right? So that's where I'm inviting you to stand today. That's where I'm choosing to stand today. After the initial shockwave, adapting to the new version of life for a while, and now what? Okay. So fair warning, I am about to give like a lot of um, encouragement towards a positive and redemptive optimism view of the world. I'm about to give us a lot of... Um, exhortation, I think, towards courage and life and beauty. And I mean that with my whole heart, because I do believe that is what we are created for in any season, in any circumstance. And so that's where we're going today. But I do just want to like also say that that doesn't make the hard things less hard right now, right? We have to keep that commingled perspective of what's going on in our world right now. We're not standing in an optimism bubble, but we're also not going to let the hard things destroy us, right? And I know that there are hard things going on for every single person in our community, every single person in our country, in our world, really. Um, this is affecting everyone, right? Uh, for me personally, it's affecting me greatly. I've only been getting four hours of sleep per night because I had my whole life that I already had 
plus now the full-time education of my children. And there's just not enough hours in the day. So for me, that's affecting me in an extreme way, right? Um, Also affecting our family. I will tell you, my family has never once in their entire human existence eaten so many meals cooked by me in a row. (laughs) But they're all surviving. They're still, they look fine. They're healthy. They're great. They're giving me a thumbs up. But yeah, like I'm cooking all the meals. This is a new fun time in our life. Um, We also have put up a trampoline in our yard that has genuinely saved our lives. So that is a life-saving tip if any of you have energetic children. Um, I personally have hundreds, literally hundreds of unread emails in my inbox right now because I can't get to them all of all the emails from their teachers. It's just, it's not going to happen. And so that's an extremely stressful thing, right? And I myself have done plenty of extrapolating of like, where, where is this going? Like, wh- what is this season going to do to the bigger picture of my life, of my family's life, of our church's life, of our financial future, of everything, right? I've, I've let myself extrapolate and, and wonder, right? Um, and I have two parents that are in the highest risk category for this virus. So I'm not, um, I don't want to diminish any of those hard things that are going on for me or for any of you because they are hard. It's a hard season, right? But we have to choose the commingled perspective. We have to look for the good too, right? Because that's who we're created to be. And in doing that, we can find life and flourishing and joy, and peace and hope right here, right now. So now what? So in house church this week, which by the way, worked so great on Zoom. Like I was really happy because we were all able to participate in the conversation. It was really, really good. So I would really encourage all of you guys do house church on Zoom or whatever online platform you choose. Um, It was really great. But so in our house church study this week, um, we studied the three phases of biblical grieving. It was just a delight. No, it really was. I know that sounds like super heavy, um, but it was so good, you guys. It was so good. And as I was listening, it was um, a study by Pete Scazzaro. And as I was listening to him talk, I realized like this isn't just about grieving. Like this is for us right now. So I'm going to share it with you today. And not all the background of why these are the three phases, that is for another day. But these are the three phases he talks about. The three phases of biblical grieving. Number one, pay attention. Pay attention to to what's going on inside of you. Pay attention to your feelings. Pay attention to how the loss is affecting you. Then number two, wait in the confusing in-between. And then number three, let the old birth the new. So let's unpack that for just a few minutes today. I don't think many of us are grieving much yet at this point, but I think we're all wondering what is it that we are going to have to grieve <laughs> in the coming weeks, months. Um, I think we're just wondering, right, what that grief might be. And for me, like the wondering place, the pre-grieving place is almost worse than the actual grieving. So I feel like these steps are good steps to take right now, okay? So the first thing he talks about is to pay attention. Pay attention to how we're feeling, right? And last week we talked about what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane and how Jesus dealt with a crisis and the feelings of desperation and loneliness and fear and anxiety that Jesus felt in those last hours before he was arrested. And I think it gave us a lot of space and validation for the way that we're feeling, for the feelings that we're wrestling with right now, or really any time in our lives when we're facing grief or loss or other hard things when we're facing crisis, right? 
So we looked at that last week. And I think we've given ourselves space to pay that attention. And if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't taken a moment to ask yourself, all right, initial shockwave is over. How am I doing? What am I feeling? What am I afraid of right now? How is this season affecting me? I would encourage you to do that. Because if we can't first pay attention and be real about what we're going through, we can't get much further. We're kind of just going to be stuck muscling our way through. And I don't think we want to muscle our way through. That doesn't sound like flourishing to me. So let's ask ourselves again today, how do I feel? How do I feel about this situation? What is it doing inside of me? And for me, I can tell you it's stress. <laughs> it is stress inside of me. I can feel I can feel my body absorbing the stress that just continues to come as things continue to get added to my plate. And it's not great, um, but it is great that I can see it. It is great that I know that that's happening in me so that I can take steps to do what I need to do to combat the stress, right? So whatever it is for you, think about it today. Pay attention. Okay. Next, what do we do about it? Well, Pete says that we wait in the confusing in-between. Now, to me, that sounds like, ew, gross. I do not, that does not sound like the next step that I want to choose. I, when I have a problem, I like to fix the problem. I do not like to wait in the confusing in-between. Who even came up with those words? I'm angry at them, right? <clears throat> but that's where we're at. That's where we're at with this particular crisis. We can't fix it. We don't know when we, we don't know when it's going to peak here in our state. We don't know when it's going to peak in our country. We don't know what the government officials are going to continue to ask us to do. And so we have to wait. That's what we have to do right now. And there's other circumstances probably going on in our lives that we're kind of in the same place, right? There is a season of waiting in the midst of crisis. Okay. So the question is, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? And for that, we can look to point three is we wait for the old to birth the new. Right, church? That, that's the one true narrative of redemption. Life from death and wholeness from brokenness and joy from sorrow. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we believe. That's what we're trusting in. So this waiting in the confusing in between isn't necessarily waiting to see what the circumstances of the world do. The waiting is for the new life to be birthed in us and around us. Okay? So, I think we're here. This initial shockwave has come. We're asking ourselves the question, now what? And I think this is part of the answer. We pay attention. We wait in the confusing in between. And then we let the old birth the new. So if that's true, which I think it is, I think we can ask ourselves two questions. Two questions come to my mind when I, when I look at those three steps. And the two questions that come to my mind are, one, how do I wait well? How do I wait well? And then two, how do I participate in the new? How do I participate in that birthing of the new? Because we aren't just sitting on the sidelines of our lives. We're actively engaged in living them. So while there is a season of waiting and while there is a season of birthing, we get to participate in those things, right? So how do we do that well? That's a question we can ask ourselves today. So in order to think about those questions, I want us to think about a biblical model um, for us. And this is probably the obvious model, but I think it's really important to look at the, this particular life 
because there's a lot to learn. So I'm going to come at you with a lot of things today. Just take what's good for you. Take what you need today. You don't need to take all of it or listen again or something, right? We're going to look at the life of Paul, a, spe a specific part of his life. Um, and I think you guys probably know the story of Saul turned Paul, right? Saul used to work uh, for the Roman government, and he used to hunt down the Christians and torture them and execute them until he had an encounter with God one day um, that transformed his life, transformed his thinking, transformed, him, transformed his belief in Jesus, in the Messiah. And Paul became an apostle to spread the gospel um, really to the whole Gentile world, right? He became um, one of the most influential people on Christianity ever, probably besides Jesus. He probably was the most influential. And many of the books of our New Testament are written by Paul, right? Um, so what does the life of Paul have to do with our current situation? If you guys are here in the audience this morning, I would ask you if you know why the life of Paul might be, might tell us about our current situation. But since you are not, you can shout it out at home if you know. Um, I wonder if my kids know. Do you know? Yeah, because he was imprisoned. Right. Paul spent a lot of years in prison. They know because we studied this at house church on Friday. Paul spent a lot of years in prison. He spent a, like a four-year segment um, either in a prison or being transferred on a prison ship or in house arrest. And he spent other times in his life in prison, but there was this one four-year segment. And he spent two years of this segment under house arrest, under house arrest. And I was reading some of Charles Stanley's thoughts about Paul's imprisonment and his house arrest time, and I didn't know this. I don't know if you guys knew this, but there are some scholars who believe that while Paul was under house arrest, he was actually chained to a Roman soldier, like the whole time. So, you know, maybe we can have a little bit of empathy for Paul right now as we are feeling like we're in house arrest in our homes. Hopefully we're not chained to anyone, but, you know, in very close quarters with people. Um, that's, that's how he was for two years. He lived like that under house arrest, right? And if anyone had a reason to complain or to be mad at God, like it would be Paul because Paul was called and appointed and equipped to spread the gospel throughout the world. He was the leader of the Gentile church. He was called to disciple people and he ended up in, in jail and then in house arrest and he couldn't leave the house. People could come to him, but he couldn't leave over two years, right? And, you know, he would he could have had a lot of reasons to be angry about this, negative or unproductive, but what Paul did during this time was very, very beautiful. And what Paul wrote during this time was filled with thanksgiving and joy and praise to God. So we're going to look at it for a little bit. Um, he, Paul wrote the prison epistles, um, while he was under house arrest. And those are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So four books of the Bible, which were actually letters that he wrote at the time. He wrote while under house arrest in uh, Rome. And like I said, Paul's work is probably some of the most studied, most quoted, most beloved parts of the Bible still today. They influence, they've influenced the church for generations and generations. And it's work that he did while he was in house arrest in Rome, right? So he did something pretty awesome. While he was waiting for the birth of the new, he did something pretty awesome. We're going to read in Acts chapter 28. 
It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's what Paul did. That's what Paul did while he was under house arrest. So what about us, right? We're thinking about this through this lens of now what? Now what? Here we are in the midst of this crisis. Now what, right? And we know that it means paying attention. And we know that it means waiting well. And we know that it means looking for the old to birth the new. So what can we learn from Paul? In order to answer these questions, um, the two questions we're asking, how do we wait well? How do we help the, how do we participate in the new coming to be? Um, We need to understand some things about a crisis. Because I think we would all admit at this point, like we're, we're living in a crisis. We are. The, the world is not going to be the same on it, even though it, it kind of like snuck up on us. We are in the midst of a global health and economic crisis right now, right? So what do we need to know about a crisis so that we can learn how to wait well and how to participate in the new coming? I think we can look at some things about a crisis that can be good. We could also talk a lot about the negatives of a crisis, and maybe we'll do that one day if we need to. But for today, we're going to focus on what what about a crisis can be good, can be good in our lives. So we're going to talk about five things really quickly as we finish up today. Five ways that a crisis can be good. Number one, a crisis helps us narrow our priorities. Number two, a crisis helps us be intentional. Number three, crisis brings us to a place of surrender. Number four, a crisis is an opportunity to be hope and light. And number five, a crisis changes us forever. So let's unpack each of those really quickly as we close up today. Number one, if we're going to wait well, and if we're going to participate in birthing the new, we need to remember that a crisis helps us narrow our priorities. I saw a quote this week by Dave Hollis. And he said, in the rush to return to normal, use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to. Right? This crisis is narrowing our priorities. Some of it against our will. Like there are some priorities that we would still really like to hold onto as higher priorities and we can't right now but there are a lot of things that are being kind of stripped away from us right now that maybe aren't actually that important to us right let's look at what Paul says in Philippians 4 he says how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again I know you have always been concerned for me but you didn't have the chance to help me not that I was ever in need for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now that's Paul writing after he's been in prison for a couple years, after he's been on a very difficult journey uh, to get to this house arrest season. This is what he's saying. He's saying, all that stuff that you all might think is important to me, it's, it's really not 
that important to me. I know what's important and it's Christ in me, right? His priorities were hugely narrowed, hugely narrowed in this time, okay? And he was singularly focused on the calling that he had. And he realized that it didn't really matter that all of those other things had been taken away. Even his freedom had been taken away. In reality, he still was free. He still was participating in the calling that was on his life. So what if we allow this season to do that same work in us? What if we allow it to narrow our priorities in a way that helps us to focus on the callings and passions of our lives, on the things and on the people that that really are the most important to us? And what if it helps us put down the things that distract us or put down the things that numb us and focus true and beautiful in our lives, right? I think this could be a time to simplify our life. I really do. Our lives are too full. All of our lives are too full. And this can be a time to narrow our priorities. If you want a resource about this, there are several, and there are certainly more being written now. Um, but a book that came out before any of this happened, but recently, is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and it's outstanding. So I would recommend if something in there is resonating with you, check out that book. Um, it's a lot of good stuff. All right, number two. If we are going to wait well and participate in birthing the new, we need to remember that a crisis helps us be intentional. Intentional. Like, there are a lot of things that are high on the priority list, but that are really hard right now, right? A lot of things. Uh, it's really hard to do the work of the gospel right now. I mean, we can do this, <laughs> but there are a lot of things we can't do, and so it's hard. It's hard to be a pastor right now. It's hard to be the church right now in a lot of ways. It's really hard to make healthy choices right now, right? A lot of us are just eating cookies at our house. I'm not uh, above this, this thing. Although I will say I put on my jeans today and they still fit. So I'm feeling pretty good. But it is hard. It is hard to make healthy choices, not just about our physical bodies, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It's hard to make those healthy choices right now, even though we know it's a priority, right? It's hard to connect with our community right now. Really hard. And it is hard to stick with the spiritual disciplines that we know are so good for us. Even that's hard right now, even though maybe it shouldn't be. I think it probably is, right? And so these are the things we have to be intentional about. We have to be intentional about these things because if we're not, we'll just slip into numbing. And if we slip into numbing, this crisis is, is not going to be for our good. It's not, right? So these things, making healthy choices, doing the work of the gospel, connecting with our community, uh, doing our spiritual disciplines like these things are hard but they are not impossible right now none of those things are impossible right now but it does take an extra degree of intention intentionality and a crisis can bring that to us and you know like honestly we might even do a better job at some of these things because we have to work harder to do them right now it could be a reason to be even better at these things because there's a degree that makes it harder so paul writes in ephesians chapter 4. He says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. This is living intentionally, right? Make every effort. Make every effort, he says, to, to lead a life worthy of your calling. That takes a great degree of intentionality. And he certainly um, showed that while he's sitting under house arrest for two years. He was working this entire time to still lead these churches by writing these letters and by welcoming people into his home. That takes a great degree of intentionality, right? And we can do the same, church. We can do the same. This crisis can be for our good if we choose. All right, number three. We're going to wait well, and we're going to help the new come into the world. We have to remember that a crisis brings us to a place of surrender, right? And we talked a lot about that last week and about Jesus even having to let go and release his will to the Father's will and remembering that the Father's will is our good and our flourishing and shalom and peace and wholeness, right? But it does bring us a major crisis, if we allow it, will bring us to a place of surrender to God, right? And from that place, from that place of surrender, we will find peace. We will find peace. Let's read what Paul says in Philippians. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'd do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true and noble and reputable and authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. A sense of God's wholeness. A sense of everything coming together for good. That is the peace that comes when we surrender. When we surrender. And if we allow a crisis to draw us towards the heart of God, we will find that place of surrender and we will receive that peace. And we will look on this season and say, I feel a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good. Because we know that that is the will of God, everything coming together for good. Number four, if we're going to wait well and we're going to participate in the new, then we need to remember that crisis is an opportunity to be hope and to be light. Let's look at what Paul says in Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has, been it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul had a whole new place of ministry in the midst of being imprisoned, right? And he celebrates that. 
He celebrates that even though he's not able to travel off to the ends of the earth, the gospel is still becoming louder and stronger and clearer right where he is. He's using that opportunity to be hope and to be light, right? And this is not just about having a good attitude so that we can be hopeful and light up the room. It's not about that, right? It's about Jesus in us. It's not about false hope and it's not about forced light. It's about the actual light of the truth that God is at work in the world for our good that allows us to be hope and to be light. All right, we're going to finish up today with the last point, and Benjamin can come back up so we can sing one last song together. But the last point is that if we're going to weigh well and participate in birthing the new, we have to remember that a crisis changes us forever. It changes us. Now, I think a lot of us, at least for a while, we're just feeling like, I'm just ready for things to be back to normal, right? But I think the truth that we have to embrace is that things aren't necessarily going to be the way that they were before. Now, don't let that scare you. Like, many things will be the way that they were before. We will go back to work. We will go back to school. We will go back to gathering. Those things will be the way they were before. But the world will change because of this. And that, I pray that those changes will be good for the world. But what I really pray for every day is that we will change because of this, that I will change, that you will change because of this, and change for the better. I don't want to go through a season of crisis or loss or grief or pain in life and not be changed for the better, right? That's what God offers us. A crisis will change us forever, especially if we choose it. It'll change us for the better, right? So Paul had the same hope and prayer for his um, disciples, followers, churches that he led. He had the same prayer that they would change for the better. And so I, I want to read you his words, but they're, they're also my words. Like they're my prayer for us, for you. So I'm going to read them today. In Philippians, he says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. My prayer is that this season will change us to become more and more like that, 
that our love will overflow more and more, that we will find a deeper and deeper understanding of who we are and what we're called to become and what the church is meant to be in this world. Like this crisis can do that if we choose it. A crisis is a chance to lean into our strengths. A crisis is a chance to lean into Jesus. A crisis is a chance to choose courage and trust. And it's a chance to become. It's a chance to become. And so that's my prayer more than anything, is that we will become, through this crisis, more and more of what we're created to be. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning and for the example of Paul and the way that he chose to use a season of imprisonment to advance the gospel and to become the person that you created to be and to show your love to people far and wide through his words and through welcoming people into his home in the way that he could. And God, I pray that something today, one of these exhortations, one of these invitations will land deeply in our hearts and that will change us, will change our perspective on what's going on right now and help us to feel invited to participate in the work that you're doing, in the good work that you're doing right in the midst of crisis. God, we do pray for miracles. We pray for healing. We pray for cures now in the name of Jesus. And we also pray for a change in us and in our world. God, I ask that you would help us to wait well. Show us what that means in our individual lives for each of us. And show us how to participate in the new that you want to bring. And most of all, God, I pray for your peace. As we surrender to the truth of who you are, who we are, pray that we can find rest for our souls in you. In your name we pray.